1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday. Free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. And I'm thrilled to say that William Ye, who's held a trainer's licence since 1990, joins me in the studio as my first guest of the season. And it may have been three decades, William, but it might just be about to reach the most glorious, glorious climax. Welcome to, to Luck on Sunday. Thanks, Nick. Thank and, you. And, and how's Pile Driver, first of all? Yeah,
2: no, he's fine. He's in great order. We're just um, routine now. He's done all of his strong work and he's, he's where we need him. So this week's just keeping everything rolling forward.
1: Could you ever have imagined at the beginning of 2020, even though you knew you had a good horse, that you'd be in this position now?
2: No, probably not. I mean, we thought we had a a nice horse that we would, depending on how far he stayed, would be the height we got, you know, whether he was going to go farther than a mile, mile and a quarter. If he got the mile and a half is when I said he could be very good. But um, he's just got the right attributes. He just settles and does everything lovely.
1: Tell me a little bit about what the atmospheres like around the yard at the moment and how he's had an impact on everybody
2: well I think it, I think it definitely has because in small yards if things are not going so swimmingly it's it's tough because and especially this year it'd have been even tougher I mean I think he's made this year go forward and help with everything that's been looking forward to his next race then bringing him on all the staff you know they do for every horse but Obviously, he gives everything a big lift.
1: And how, how challenging has it been for a small yard like yours, just north of 25 horses, during this year and trying to put, put everything together?
2: Well, it's tough um, because financially we, we, we started the season with a few more than we got now. But if you find in a year like this uh, the horse is no good, you might as well give them away. You know, you've got people out there that like riding horses, and as long as they're good temperament and the people that you're giving them to, so we make sure they get good homes. We Three or four we've given away, three or four went to the sales, um, because there's no point in keeping horses. If they can't win any prize money, there's no point in having them in training. Years ago, before, you could have still taken them to the sales at the end of the year, and you would have got five, six, eight grand from them. but now you might as well cut the losses and no more training fees.
1: So how many horses, for example, would you have given away so far this year?
2: Given away four, and we've took four to the south, so that's eight. And
1: that's a big chunk of your your overall I, string, isn't it? I know,
2: it's a big chunk, and but I, you know, my owners have been with me for a long time since I've started, so we all work together, and I do appreciate the owners have kept us going. If the owners hadn't stayed in it and they'd have said, William, we're going to turn these away, we'd have been in big trouble because we wouldn't have been able to survive.
1: You've had some super horses over the years, from Averti through Texas Gold and Enforcer and Impeller and Enroller, and now to Stepper Point and and, and Pile Driver. It's not as though having a good horse is something that you've just ch- chanced upon, you know, at this uh, at this late stage. And you mentioned those owners who, who've stayed with you thick and thin. Uh, have the last few years been pretty tough?
2: Yeah, it has, it has been tough because, <clears throat> you know. You know this game's fashion. Whether you go to the sales, you've got the right stallion. Whether you go and you've got the right youngest jockey that's fashionable. Everything's fashion. Training's fashion, so everybody goes along with fashion. We've done well, we've had it, but if it hadn't been, my owners have stuck with me through thick and thin, and we've survived. If, you know, if they'd have moved away, we'd have really struggled.
1: And do you think that's in part because of the kind of experience that you give them? As well as what you do with their horses.
2: Well, I think we have become very good friends, and, and truth and honesty. And I've, you know, I was brought up that way. You know, you can takes a lifetime to get a good name, and you can lose it overnight. Dad always taught us: be honest, tell everybody the truth. So, if a horse is no good, it's no good. It's not going to win races. If you got a, a good one, like the likes of Stepper and Texas, early on in their career, they didn't show what they were showing on a, at home on a racecourse, and. Said to the owners, these are good. They stuck in and they reaped the benefit because they were good.
1: So take me back to where it all started. Where did William Muir, the trainer, begin?
2: Well, I was with a few trainers. I first of all I was riding out for Folk Johnson Houghton because my father had horses in training. That was at the time when Hot Grove, Libra's Rib, had Libra, Rose Bowl, and then I'd done two seasons with Folk, and then I went to Nicky Vigers season with Nicky Vibes and I was with Pat Taylor as well who was a wonderful trainer. Pat Taylor was a small trainer but an absolute magician with horses. I mean what Pat done, I could even think about it now and I don't know how he does it. He did it, he was wonderful and then I went as assistant to Kim Brassi, and I was with Kim for a long time and then things in the end didn't go right for Kim and he packed up and I had taken a fair few owners to Kim and they said to me, William where are we going? We're not going anywhere else. We want you to train. I said, I can't afford to train. I've not got that sort of money. You can. We're going to be behind you. So we found a little yard to rent, which we did. And I could see after two and a half years, things were going well, but the rent was getting bigger, and I thought, we never sustain this. So there was a yard in Lambourne, where we are now, Linkslade, that was wrecked. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely bombed out by <laughs> New Age travellers. It was just <laughs> nothing, and we bought it for very reasonable money. And we've done it up to how it is now, and it's in, it's in you know, a nice yard, it's in a great place. <clears throat> Still need to keep doing lots more to it, and that's when things are hard. If you're not getting the horses, you can't keep plowing more money into the into the property.
1: But if you hadn't done that, and if you hadn't taken that gamble at the time, presumably, you wouldn't have been able to sustain yourself.
2: No, I'd never been able to sustain just renting a yard. No chance, because there wasn't enough money to do that. So we bought this yard, and it was at the right price.
1: So when you say that when when Kim Brassie finished and and some of the owners encouraged you to start, had you actually given any thought to starting yourself? Was it ever something you really wanted to do?
2: I always wanted to train, but I always thought, because I was so loyal, and I've been loyal all my life, I thought if Kim was still training, I'd probably still be assistant. But it was all the kick up the backside I needed when they said, no, come on. And those owners are still with me. Some of those owners that, when I started, John O'Malloy, Farfaloo, you know, those horses were the ones that got me going.
1: So, who who else was in the was in the mix then? Who Rob had...
2: Haim, World Honor. Um, there was just you know there was quite a few. Clive joined me about two or three years after we got to Links like Two years afterwards, and they've never you know Clive's never been anyone else. We've had 160 Clive Edgington. Clive Edgington, 167 winners or something, maybe even more than that now, and Group winners, Group Two winners. And he's never had a horse anywhere else and we're very, well, I think we're very good friends. He might be watching telly thinking, God, I don't know where he's getting that from. <laughs> but <laughs> I know, I think we're very good friends and um, he's just been very supportive. And other owners, you, you know, I could mention all the owners, Ken, who lives in the village, Ken and Dawn, they've been very supportive and, you know, there's O, who I said, O. Malloy, and then Power Drivers Owners, I met through Kevin Mercer, and Kevin Mercer was a great supporter of ours. And I met Guy, Hugh, and Roger. Well, I trained for Roger before I met Guy and Hugh. Yeah. And um, yeah, and everybody's just been fantastic and supported me right the way through.
1: Uh, one thing I, I can remember from from the early days of when I was doing this job, and you had the enforcers and the impellers and the texas golds and, and those sort of horses is that you were always incredibly positive about them and it was infectious and that's why i used to enjoy talking to you well mainly because nobody else wanted to talk to me <laughs> and you did but uh, but you were incredibly enthusiastic and your glass was always was always half full has that sustained has yeah, that yeah. optimistic temperament <clears throat> sustained to this yeah, day. yeah my
2: dear wife tells me she tells me to steady down because before york I was getting more and more confident and people <laughs> ringing up press, saying, and I was getting more confident. She said, I oh, hope you're right, because you never, ever play it down. That's me. I'm, I've am i always been a half full. I'm never half empty, because if you were, then this is not the job to be in.
1: But does that make the disappointments greater when horses being as unpredictable as they are don't quite deliver the way that you anticipated they might?
2: Well, of course it does. We've had horses that have been wonder horses on the gallops, and poof. You just stand back two years later and think, why, why couldn't we get it out of them?
1: But it's worth all the hard work when you do get the good ones.
2: Oh, without doubt. I mean, this is this year with, <clears throat> and it's not just power driver. Power driver is the cherry on the top of the cake, mm. but the horses have run fantastic. The data protections, the Natty Knights, the Just Huberts, they've just gone to all the big. You know, we've had a Royal Ascot, a Glorious Goodwood, and a York winner from a small team. You know, the other horses have been going to the sand and new markets and winning, which you can't believe. This this is what you do.
1: So how many horses in training now? 20...
2: Probably 26, 27, because we had a few go last week at the sales and three the week before. So, yeah, about 26, 27. We started with about 34.
1: Okay. And at your peak, how many would you have had?
2: 85, 90.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a big difference, a big economic difference as well. And just... I'll outline the extent to which you and your family now have to really take take on a, a, an awful lot of the work to, to sustain the enterprise.
2: <clears throat> well, you, you have to work hard. So my family have always been behind me, my wife, which is the biggest part of why everything goes well, because if I didn't have somebody that was behind me and and put up with me, you know, things I do and never see us. So last. this year I've probably not been at home any weekend. This was the only weekend that I was going to spend some time at home. And um, I'm off. But never mind, this is good and enjoyable. So um,
3: You're, not, she you're understands not the first it. person She
2: understands that. it. And if she didn't, I couldn't do it. So she's really hardworking. She helps in the yard. She helps in the office. My daughter used to work for me full time and then she got offered this good job and she took it and she's doing really well. But like this morning, I've roped her back in to come in and help do something in the office, which is grand. She doesn't mind. They all, Everybody's in there trying to help.
1: I'm just feeling guiltier and guiltier oh, and feel guilty and guilty. Oh don't feel guilty. Don't As the time goes on. And and I know we've talked about this, but a lot of people won't know that when Pile Driver won the other day at York, that was only the beginning of a very, very, very long day for you.
2: Yeah, but days are long anyway in this game. I'm not the only trainer, ninety percent of trainers, they're long, long days, but I did drive the box and it did break down and we didn't get back <laughs> home until one thirty. But it was a good day, so if they'd have finished last, both of them, then it would have been a really tough day. But you go and win a race like this, yeah, fine. It's fine. You just take a big deep breath and sit and wait for the RAC man to come and tell you that, you know, there's something that he can't fix. But if I drive very carefully, I'll be fine.
1: Uh, This horse, nothing wrong with his engine and nothing wrong with his chassis by the looks of it either. I mean, he was brilliant at York. Uh, How... How confident are you that he'll keep galloping over the extra distance at Doncaster?
2: I like the way he ran through the line here at York and he took a long time to pull up. And if you watch him, he goes on round and round. And he's one of those horses that he is quite laid back and relaxed. So he doesn't need a lot of driving. So to keep on going, I just look at the race and I said to people afterwards, I mean, who knows whether he'll stay the extra two and a bit furlongs. But he's so relaxed, he's so chilled out. Would anything have caught him in that race if there'd have been another two furlongs?
1: I'm sure they wouldn't. Of course, it's a new, fresh collection of horses that he has to meet at uh, the weekend. What sort of form has he been in
2: since? He's in great shape. <clears throat> he's as good as he always is. He's a horse that... He's not one of these wow horses on the gallops. He does it. He is visually to see the way he moves and with his ears pricked and he's got presence about him. But in his work, he would just do his work. And that's fine. He wouldn't be flamboyant and run away from others like six, seven lengths. That's not his style. He just does what he has to do, comes off the gallops, walks home with grace and presence about him, and you just know he's in great shape. Luck
0: on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Basti Cruel Dubai. I'm
1: very pleased to say that I'm joined by Lee Mottishead, the senior writer from the Racing Post, not only to talk about, and there are plenty of them, this week's Talking Points, but also to look back on yesterday's racing. Lee, welcome. Good morning. And it's unusual for two people in the sport to be at the same race meeting at the same time at the moment, such are the restrictions, but we were both at Kempton Park yesterday for Enable, and I felt consistently sad that more people couldn't be there, but was very pleased to have witnessed it anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, ironically, there were probably as many people there as you get on some Wednesday nights at in the winter in normal times. So there was some sort of attendance there and there was some sort of noise too. This sounds overly romantic and soppy, but as she went past the post, there was a a, a, a warm applause ringing out across the racecourse and I got a bit of a shiver Mm. going down my spine. I thought it was a lovely moment. You're right, it's very, very sad that in her final year, she's not having a crowd... And it's also very sad that this has been an exceptionally good flat season. It really has. Yeah, they're doing so many great stories, so many great performances, all sadly played out only to participants and members of the the media and officials. And that will be the case again going forward to the arc. And I thought one of the interesting themes that came out of of yesterday was the realisation that in all probability, when she runs in the arc, she will do so without even a trainer there to watch her. And this is her just
1: stretching clear of her field. Uh, Frankie de Tori just looking down there. He, was, he said afterwards he was trying to get her to change her leads because he felt that the surface was a, was a bit sticky. But I'm not sure she could really
0: have done a lot more than this. Did we
1: learn anything? Nothing much beyond the fact that she was in,
0: in good heart? Yeah, I mean, what we learned is that she's in good heart and that all is well as she builds towards the arc. I, I thought there was absolutely nothing wrong with what she did yesterday. And I think if you were someone who was believing that Enable can go and make history at Longchamp in October, you would be no less likely to think that. She clearly wouldn't have been teed up for that race in the way she will be for Paris. Um, it was a building block towards the arc and I thought there was nothing to dislike about her performance. Well, I suppose what
1: we try to do now is to try and draw inference from what her, her trainer and her, her jockey say about her because in terms of hard evidence this season, there's not that much to go on.
0: No, in the sense that John Gosden had made clear before and after that Sandown wasn't her day, that she wasn't absolutely right for that race, and it served a purpose. It did serve a purpose. She beat two rivals in the King George, but my word, she beat them impressively. Um, the, the, the way she saw off those two Ballydor colts, I thought, was tremendously taking and suggested to me that she's as good as she ever was. I thought it was sensible that she didn't go to York, clearly it was disappointing. We're race fans, we love to see the great showdowns, but in some ways it just deferred the excitement yeah. until until the arc. I mean, I, I hated it at the time, Yeah. now I but, think it was a great idea. Again, it's a horrible thing to say, but if I had been in their position, I would have done exactly the same, and I, that makes me a kill, joining makes me anti-competitive, I know, but I would have done the same thing. Because it worked as well two years ago, in some ways... If you put yourselves in their position and accept that the only reason she was in training this year was to try and right that wrong of last season and win a third arc, if that was the only reason she was kept in training, it wasn't to win a third King George, Mm. it wasn't to win, Mm. win an Eclipse, that being the case, you have to think everything you do to that point has to be to maximise your chance of winning that third arc. And from my perspective her chance was greater if she avoided a, a real bruising battle with love at York and had an easier uh, trampoline to Longchamp.
1: Well, we wanted yesterday to get the thoughts of Frankie Dettori and John Gosden and the trainer will take it away first. And he's got some uh, interesting things to say as well.
4: Yeah, I think in every way she's as good, but to remember when she was a three-year-old, she was like she had complete disregard for anyone, mm. just like youth. I'll run through that, I'll go through that wall, whatever. She just took all before her, and she had the weight allowance from the older horses. And she was indomitable and unbeatable as a three-year-old. Uh, but, you know, she, 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 she got caught by going a bit hard on the ground, and the heavy ground last year, finished second, wasn't fully tuned in the Eclipse second. So, you know, it's a, it's a different world now. But I always say it's a bit like... Uh, Muhammad Ali was, uh, had all the speed in the world, the fastest heavyweight ever, his footwork. He got a little bit older and they took his title away due to, you know what, the Vietnam War and his protests. When he came back, he'd lost that speed. I'm not saying she's lost things, she's nothing like an equivalent age, but they are more seasoned, they are bigger, they are heavier, they're not like the live three-year-old she was, and to that extent, uh, she, she's a wiser filly now, but uh, to that extent, they're always going to be changing, and a six-year-old mare is very very difficult to a three-year-old filly. We
1: I mean, know how fragile these animals are. When she came here two years ago and beat a pretty serious horse in, in Crystal Ocean on a comeback from a long absence, she'd come back off a, a pretty serious injury. Is it, is it testament to her, A, toughness and B, talent, that we hardly ever talk about that now?
4: And there no, are very few is. horses I mean, who come back from that. Yeah, she's, again, you know, she's, she's robust, she's bred by a fantastic breeder, so the genes are there and the land she was raised on is all very important. But uh, I think very much that she, she does have that mental strength, you know. The great tennis players get to the fifth set and they're two sets all. It's that that wins it more than anything else. So could it be that that delivers her her, her third? Yeah, she's, you know, she'll battle it out with anyone, absolutely. And uh, you know you're in a fight with her. But uh, we've got tons of respect for the Oaks winner. She looks a very brilliant filly. And again, she's benefiting from the weight that uh, Enable did when she was that age. Okay, so what's on your wish list for the next five weeks? Peace of mind. (laughs) Um, No, that she's in good form and trains nicely into the race, you know. Every day you have to watch everything. That's the way it is with horses, so no more than that. And if you could design your ideal conditions for Arc Day, if you could pick your ground, draw and everything else now, what would it be? Well, talk to Frankie about the draw and the ground. You'd love to see good, good to soft, fair to everyone, you know. You don't want to see it. Bottomless, which can happen. It is beside the River Seine, after all, in the autumn. And we're all saying this is her final appearance on on British soil.
1: You've thrown a few really nice curveballs at us in the past with her with her career. Any possibility after the arc? At,
4: well, it'll be entirely up no. to Prince Khalid. Whatever happens, it's it's his decision. She stayed in training, and however she runs in the arc, that'll be his decision again. And I'll be clear, course, I'm not pressing you. To no, do that. I, I will just... have no opinion on it. The jockey will want to race till she's ten, but I think that is definitely not on the table.
5: She uh, came to the races. She looked pumped up. She was up for it, and uh, you know she was. She got well, basically she galloped by herself. She never saw another horse. But uh, uh, yeah, all the lights were on. She felt good, moving well. Found it difficult to change leads because on this new surface is very deep and very sticky. Uh, They find they find it quite hard to get organised. But I got a good blow into into her the last furlong and a half, and uh, you know she won by seven. And uh, the dream is still alive, you know. So. uh, you know, if she would have won by a length you'd be worried, but uh our performance were good and uh, yeah. We, we 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 achieved what we wanted to do and you know, John would quite right to right, so beat this race and uh, yeah, good, I'm very pleased. Let's hope she comes out of the race well and four weeks to go.
1: I asked John what he what was on his wish list between now and, and the first weekend in October and he, he was pretty philosophical about it really. If you could devise your ideal
5: scenario for, for the art, what would it be? Well, win. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I really don't know. Uh, uh, depends on the size of the field. I would like to have uh, a low draw. I think that's uh, quite important. Then uh, then the rest, are, you know, until we get the draws, until we say the competition. Uh, you know, if it's a big field, having a high draw is not a, a great, great uh, position to be. Uh, you know, I wrote 31 arcs, so I've seen every scenario. She's quite versatile. And... Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm not going to worry about that until the Thursday before the Arc. You only
1: uh, missed the one, didn't you, in your entire Yeah, when I broke my started. leg. Yeah.
5: Yes, and uh, I am, uh, you know, my, my well, John, myself, and the team now is just try to uh, keep her in one piece and keep her happy and uh, and uh, just get her there as best we can.
1: Game on, says John Gosden. They are marching towards the Bois de Boulogne on the first Sunday in October. The trainer might not be there, the jockey most certainly will be. It was great to hear from them both, Lee, and we've talked about what yesterday's race might signify. But I wanted to pick up a point, there that Frankie made. He's ridden in 31 pre-delighted Triomphe. That is quite staggering. And, of course, the one year he missed was when he broke his ankle and he would have won it on on Trev, who he was supposed to ride.
0: Yeah, it is an extraordinary statistic. You know, when you think he he's not even 50 yet, he turns 50 this this year in December, to have ridden in 31 arcs underlines this incredible longevity and also his consistency and the fact that throughout that time, from really being almost a jockey in short trousers to where he's now, he's been at the top and he is a master of longchamp and he still, (laughs) however, bows to this wonderful race. I, I interviewed Frankie during lockdown and we spoke about Enable, as you'd expect, and we spoke about last year's arc. And I thought the, the passion and the sincerity with which he spoke about both. I don't think I've ever heard a flat jockey talk with such insight about a horse in the way that he speaks about Enable, and a real love for Enable. And when he spoke about what happened in the arc last year, both he and John um, are very good at talking about their emotions. Frankie was very adamant that he just basically wanted to leave the race course, he wanted to punch a wall, but he knew he had to go out and ride in, more, in a few more races. They know that Enable, if they could have run that race again, probably would have won that race. That's not to blame them, because in sport, decisions have to be made and they don't always go exactly how you want them to go. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that part of their... Huge, burning desire to win this race is to avenge what happened last Last year for her. Um, And I think she'll do it.
1: Well, getting that arc back clearly is Frankie's dream and the dream of many people in this sport. But yesterday it was all about dream of dreams in the Haydock Park Sprint Cup and it was Group 1 success for him, a little overdue, some might say, after some very creditable efforts and off the back of that devastating romp at Newbury over seven furlongs when he had been ridden by sheen Murphy, as he was again yesterday. The blue spots on the yellow cap settled in behind Glenn Shield, who ran a fine race under Holly Doyle. And there weren't too many anxious moments, if you'd, if you'd back Dream of Dreams yesterday, Lee.
0: No, there weren't. I suppose you might have been anxious at the start when the field split into two, because of course when that happens, you never quite know how things will pan out. But this year, he has just become a very consistent, very high-class, dependable Group 1 sprinter. We knew he was a good horse before this season, but the gelding operation he received does appear to have have changed him. He was incredibly impressive at Newbury in the Hungerford Stakes when he surged away from from Group 2 opponents. This was a proper Group 1 sprint, and in the end, he's won well.
1: He has won, well, a fine run from Glen Shield Holly Doyle looking for her first domestic Group 1. It's only a matter of time. Absolutely
0: is, yeah. I mean, that horse, again, in some ways quite similar to, to Dream of Dreams. A six-year-old in the form of his life, a horse who in December was being campaigned over a mile and a quarter on the all-weather. And now he's running in, in Group 1 sprints and very, coming very close to winning one.
1: Over your left shoulder, Lee, is, oh, the, yes. is the looming. Can you do you know? Can you feel somebody looking at you? There's
0: a presence.
1: Is there? The Yes. Is it pleasant presence? It's a very pleasant is presence. It? He's a friend of the show as Aye. well. He's James Savage, who is at Freemason Lodge, base of his. Morning, boss, guys. It's the Michael Start. Morning, James. Morning. And I'm hoping we're going to get to see the the great beast in a few minutes' time, old. Morning, old. Uh, James. H- how is he this morning?
3: Yeah, he's good, Nick. Yeah, he's come out of the race super. Um, yeah, we're very happy with him. He's uh, he's in good order. I'll just show him while he's chilling out, picking some grass.
1: Look at that. He looks uh, he looks in he looks in great shape, very relaxed. How much did that did that gelding operation does. change yeah. him beyond the
3: obvious? Um, I think yeah, we can talk about the gelding operation. I think he became. A much easier horse to ride in a race, um, a much more settled horse with everything he does at the races. Uh, he, he just, he, it's just made him a lot easier to, to manage and easier for the jockey to be more prominent with his position, uh, race position. Um, he, was, he was a little tough to settle in his earlier years and even last year.
1: James, you're a you're a fine looking man. Of that, there's there's no doubt. But if you flip the camera so we can see him and hear you, then that's uh, yeah. Look at that.
3: <laughs> yeah, no problem.
1: That's that, that that's tremendous. Um, what what sort of character is he at, at home? This horse.
3: Oh, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's brilliant. He's he's just a real nice horse to be around. Um, his nickname's Goldie, which I believe he ha- even had when he was at Kevin Ryan's as a two year old. Um, yeah, he's a proper dude but I I, I must say that the um, you know we were talking about the Gelden operation but I also think the, the the delayed start to the season has probably helped him as well um, you know having his first run up at Ascot Royal Ascot is, you know he's, he's been, we've been able to keep him very fresh and just tell me about um, who looks after
1: Dream of Dreams on a, on a daily basis and who's with him now James
3: So the lad that actually looks after him, Antonello, had a, uh, he's, a, he's quite a keen cyclist and he had, a, he had a nasty injury earlier in the week so unfortunately he's off work at the moment and couldn't be there yesterday. Um, so Stanley's looking after him this morning. The, the, the boy who rides him every day, Jordan McMurray's has done a fantastic job, took him yesterday. And what would, what would the next, say, week or so hold for him? Do you just let him wind down for a bit? How, when will he be ridden again?
1: What will the next few days look like?
3: So he's walked this morning and now he's having a long pick of grass. He'll be turned out in a pen for the afternoon as long as weather permits. We'll ride him tomorrow, weigh him, um, have a good look at him, make sure everything, we're happy with everything, and then get him into some light cantering later in the week. James, just
1: just tell me what this this victory yesterday, a Group One victory for for, for the yard, meant to everybody.
3: Oh, it's massive, Nick. Um, you know, it's every Group One's very very rewarding. Um, this one was just that little bit extra special, and it's it's it'll give it. You know, it's given us all a, a nice boost
1: and i can't i can't let you go without um making mention of the of the the passing of coral pritchard gordon the, the boss's partner um uh, last month and, and the impact that's had on on it on everybody and obviously we can't relate results on a on a race course to to that but but clearly this will have had a, some extra significance in that regard
3: absolutely nick you know she's she was a lovely woman Respected by us all and everyone, um, she, you know, she would want us to stay positive and really crack on, you know. So that that was that was just timely yesterday.
1: Well, well, James, please
3: pa- please pass on our our massive congratulations to to the boss and
1: everyone at, at Freemason. It's just lovely to see the horse you know, relaxed and enjoying himself in his in his surroundings this morning, and it doesn't look like he's um, given himself too hard a time either.
3: No. Touch wood. Thanks a million, James. All the best, Nick. Good luck.
1: Dream of dreams at uh, Freemasons. Lovely to see him there, isn't he? Yeah. A, I, I love seeing the horses the next morning just to you know, check in with them and, and see them relaxing.
0: And he looks so relaxed, and it's great to see. You know, you, these sprinters, these pent up balls of muscle and energy. You would, you wouldn't think so, there, would you? You think a young girl could take him for a hack? Um, on the lanes of, of a morning. Um, he, he's yeah, great horse. Great as, as well, I think, to see Sir Michael start with a, a top-class sprinter. Mm. Um, he's a, as, as a yard, we've not associated him. Um, not not latterly, anyway. But no, not latterly. In the eighties, Green some... Desert and Ashdar won yeah. that race back to back, and of course you had Marwell in the early eighties. Loads of great sprinters from that stable, but, but things develop, don't they? And you tend to get. Sent certain sorts of horses, and he's not really had those high-class sprinters um, in recent years. So that is an extra sort of element to the victory. Yeah. You'd imagine the horse would go on to Ascot and Champions Day, and because he's a gelding, in this wonderful year for geldings, um, we can enjoy him again next season.
1: And, and as I said to James, there with with Coral's passing very recently, this will have meant even more to the to the stable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know. Coral well, but I I do know that when you saw her on a race course, spoke to her on a race course, she was always extremely friendly. Anyone that knew her well spoke only in the most glowing terms of her. You only had to see Ryan Moore's um, reaction and, and, and comments following her death. And just as a hack, we all know that in this business, sometimes getting hold of Sir Michael Stout isn't always the easiest Thing he, he, he plays a he plays a good game with, with, with the press. But if you rang through and you got hold of Coral, you thought it had a decent chance of being put through to the great man. She was a, she was a lovely lovely lady.
1: Yeah, and she is and will be uh, much missed. Well done to the whole stout team with victory yesterday. And thank you to James Savage for showing us Dream of Dreams. It was written by Asheen Murphy to whom it's a very happy twenty fifth birthday. Uh, Asheen, good morning. I hope he's there. Is he there? Morning, Nick. Ah, oh, there he is. There he is. We got you. Happy birthday.
6: Thank you very much. Thank you. I feel old.
1: Oh, my <laughs> word. Stop it, please. Just twenty. Just 25, it's absolutely sickening. Uh, well done yesterday. That must have meant a lot to you.
6: Yeah, it was great. Uh, I was really looking forward to the horse from uh, after getting off from at Newbury in the Hungerford, and uh, he was really good yesterday, absolutely.
1: I mean, and absolutely no disrespect to all the many great people that you've ridden Group 1 winners for, but there must be just something a little bit cool about riding one for, for Sir Michael Stout, a sort of totemic figure of the game.
6: Yeah, I remember as an apprentice, Andrew, was uh, keen for me to look after my claim and hope that Sir Michael Stout might use me uh, in one of the handicaps that, you know, the likes of Royal Ascot or glorious Goodwood. Something like that, but it never happened. But um, latterly, in the last few years, I've picked up some rights and him in Group Ones, and it's uh, it's great to team up with him. You know, it's, there's so much history. He's trained so many good ones He's obviously um, uh, such a successful trainer and, and gentleman.
1: And and you've obviously clicked with this horse, Dream of Dreams, and it's lovely to see because it, it wasn't before time that uh, that he that he that he won a Group One, and we've just heard from. From James Savage about some of the reasons for that, he looks a pretty straightforward customer now.
6: Well, he's given me a fantastic and easy ride boat, on both occasions. Uh, particularly going to the stack. he absolutely loves that like a like an old um, like an old stain chaser. He's a really easy horse to deal with. So, um, so yeah, it's a, a good trip.
1: I mean, does he feel like the sort of horse for whom you know you have to have had lots of rain? I mean, his whole career suggests that he. That he, he likes it, but do you think he, it's absolutely crucial for him?
6: No, I don't. He's a very light mover, and uh, he's come close to winning two Diamond Jubilees. That I mean, you know, not always on on fast ground, but I I genuinely feel he's versatile. He's he's um he's bred to handle slow ground, but he's also got high class form on fast ground.
1: I mean, you've got a little bit of uh, a bit of time off in the in the next few days. Have you have you got anything planned to to wind down at all? What are you going to do?
6: I'm going to ride out for Andrew every day and uh, try and not get too fat and then uh, <laughs> avoid looking at the results of Doncaster if I can. Um, yeah, it won't be easy, but um, that's the way it is.
1: I mean, is it quite important when you do have a bit of bit of time, when you, you can't go to the races that you that you are? Do you, you like to kind of keep in there, keep, keep fit, keep riding? You wouldn't just disappear for a few days?
6: I'll swell up like a balloon if I don't uh, keep busy, <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, it's it's very important. I I do something um, proactive with my time off. Yeah.
1: I mean, I know you're hard on yourself, but if you just look at the season in the round, you've still got a nice cushion at the head of that jockeys' championship. Are you pretty happy with with the way things have gone?
6: i um, overall. I always want more, but um, but I've tried. I've tried really hard, and uh, I've been lucky. You know, Andrew's horses have been in really good form and uh, also all the other people are right for Ed Walker, Archie Watson, Saeed, Huey Morrison um, so many good people I'm, I'm almost going to leave people out as well but uh, it's down to them really and obviously uh, I'd like to win more group ones this season, uh, that's what kind of I suppose the a, a top jockey on, on the big days is their success so uh, if I could add to the tally before the end of the year that that would be really good.
1: And I was just saying to to Lee a few moments ago, we were talking about Frankie and and his his comment yesterday that he'd ridden in thirty one Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. You, you you look on as a champion jockey, age twenty five. Can you can you quite get your head around that?
6: No, I don't think I'll ever be riding in thirty one Arc de Triomphe. Um, I've ridden in two. Uh, that's an incredible feat. Uh, you know, to have ridden that many top class horses for that long, obviously, since he was a teenager, is just simply outstanding. And um, what a great role model he is.
1: He really is. Ashin, thanks so much, and well done again yesterday.
6: Thanks very much, guys. Take it.
0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al-Basti Cruel Dubai. Well, the topsy-turvy American Triple Crown of
1: 2020 had its second leg yesterday with the delayed running of the Kentucky Derby, which was supposed to happen, of course, on the first Saturday in May, but it was the first Saturday in September this time, in front of no crowds at all. It was a record-equalling sixth victory in the race for Bob Baffert, who's authentic, drawn widest of all in Gate 18 under John Velasquez, beats the heavy favourite, Tis the Law, who'd won this year's first leg, the Belmont Stakes. And you'd hope the rematch will be on in the Preakness. So there won't be a Triple Crown winner this year. There will, however, be plenty of owners celebrating the victory of Authentic, because not only is he owned by B. Wayne Hughes Spendthrift Farm, he's also part-owned by MyRacehorse.com, which syndicates micro-shares to anybody, essentially, who wants to apply. And one of those applicants was a friend of the show who's talked extensively and... um, quite passionately about the benefits of syndicate ownership on this programme before and joins me now. It's Jack Cantillon. Jack, good morning.
7: Good morning, Nick. How are you? Well,
1: if ever, if ever you wanted to reignite the debate about syndicates with, with Ted Walsh that people will, will remember very well, perhaps from our, from our uh, luck on Sunday on the road in Ireland, perhaps this is the time to do it.
7: Yeah, exactly. Next time I see Ted, I'll be buying him a mint tulip.
1: <laughs> so how, just tell us a bit about how you got into the admittedly very small ownership of Authentic.
7: Look, I suppose, Nick, for me, you know, if uh, when I'm buying a horse, it's kind of like buying a bottle of wine. I could decide to invest in the bottle of wine, store it, maybe pray, you know, I'll, I'll make a few quid in a couple of months. But this, for me, was more just about about uh, opening that bottle of wine straight away and enjoying it. You know, it's dick um, I'd watched him come second in the Santa Anita Derby. He was going to run the Haskell in, uh, in the coming days. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be a bit of fun. You get it part of their breeding rights, part of the racing program, and I'd have a little bit of a, a micro shot, as you said, at, the, at winning the Kentucky Derby uh, as part of this uh, wonderful program, which is a great thrill last night.
3: Are you
1: able to know exactly how much of the horse you own, and are you able to know how many other people are are in this portion of the ownership?
7: Yeah. So to, to be very clear, my profession is a lawyer, so uh, <laughs> I, I have to be clear on detail. Um, and, that I was re- and I actually, to be honest, what they attracted to me was reading about it and reading how they were doing it. So just to be very clear, you know, I got zero prize money for the Kentucky Derby tomorrow because there's now a cheque um, that needs to be paid for $9 million for, as a kicker for winning the Kentucky Derby now. To be frank if i was john magner and i was buying a stallion prospect to win the kentucky derby you'd want to be a very good negotiator in the stallion market to remove kickers from that because that is an intrinsic part of how you buy stallions so i thought it was entirely appropriate you would do so um, and of course because you're getting the upside of the breeding program it was uh, right that we paid that but i own um so 206 which is the equivalent of a 20.6 million dollar valuation which is quite juicy but look, as I said to you, this was a bit of fun, and it was a great thrill last night to 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 follow it and cheer along Oh, so
1: hang on a minute. So you you own you bought two hundred and six dollars worth. How much is your two hundred and six dollars worth now? In which case,
7: uh, Nick, I wouldn't be going to the bank and getting a mortgage on the basis of it, and I probably <laughs> wouldn't even get served at my bar using it as credit. But look. It, 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 I think it's something to point out about it, because you know, I, it's very interesting to follow the reaction on Twitter this morning. Some people think this is wonderful. Other people are a little bit worried about it. But what's interesting is this is SEC regulated, which is the most robust financial regulator properly in the world. Um, and they cannot offer shares in um, Authentic until they go through the approval process to be SEC approved. So I think this is a wonderful thing. It's another reminder why we need robust regulation in re- relation to syndicates, and it's another reminder why it is the future for our horse.
1: So is something like this, do you think, able to be rolled out across European racing, where you can log on and buy micro-shares just like that?
7: Yeah, look, I, I have syndicates. Now, you know, if you buy a share of me, you can buy 1% of the horse, and I, I wouldn't ever go lower than that, I don't think. Uh, we won the Apprentice Derby this year, not quite the kentucky derby but we gave it a go and um, but you know we can look to other sports and there's examples of this being very successful you know the green bay packers that's fan owned it's was it's probably the most uh successful it is the most successful uh, nfl franchise Bayern munich you know is, is fan owned you know, frequently if you bring fans into a sport and you get them a seat at the table it it achieves results and it because what it does is it focuses people on providing a product that people enjoy and people want to be part of, and they want to invest in. And for, you know, I'm some uh, lunatic in Ireland sitting uh, sitting putting two hundred and six dollars into a horse that I, I I won't see a good return on. But do you know what? I loved getting the videos. Mm. I love. It was like getting a Hollywood movie weekly as I followed this bizarre horse progress from getting beaten in the Santa Anita Derby to winning the Monmouth to winning the Kentucky Derby last night. And you know, for me, that I got acres of value um for the experience last night.
1: And that's the key, isn't it? It's giving value and also. Having managed expectations, I suppose you're not being sold some. Sold, you're not being told that if this horse runs in the Kentucky Derby, you can go and, in, in a normal year, stand on Millionaire's Row and in, in, enjoy the view at Churchill Downs.
7: Yeah, no, exactly, Nick. And I think what well, I think sometimes we need to reflect upon horse ownership. It's not so much about return and reflecting on return. It's frequently about control. So if I own all of the horse, I can move the horse, I can talk to the trainer, I can do. If I'm part of a syndicate, I can be part of the conversation with, uh, in relation to that. If you're part of one of my syndicates, we'll discuss naming the horse, we'll discuss options. And then when you get to this level of ownership, micro-ownership, it's really more just about receiving the videos, feeling part of it. But, you know, I'm not going to have Bob B- Baffert on the end of the phone telling them, you know, actually, authentic, I think we should hold them up this time. This is not what it's about. <laughs> it's part of the journey and, uh, and having a bit of crack along the way. And that's why, honestly, this is the future, if we can embrace it at all and for once in our game, we feel uh, be on the front foot of uh, something innovative and new.
1: Jack, Bob Baffert's a, a regular viewer of this programme. Indeed, he, like you, is a friend of the show. Do you have a message for Bob Baffert now? You can, yeah. you can thank him.
7: Uh, Bob, I thank, I thank you dearly. I'm looking forward to sharing a mint julep with you in due course at 206 bucks. Well spent, Bob. Keep it up.
1: Jack Cantillon, thank you very much indeed.
7: Thanks very much, Nick.
1: Jack Cantillon, one of the part owners of Authentically...
0: I wish I was as clever as Jack. So do I. Oh, my word, that's impressive, isn't it? Why, why, weren't, why didn't we spot that we could have had a share in a... Future Kentucky Derby winner for just under two hundred dollars.
1: You just know. I just know that next time I see Bob Baffin, Yeah, you heard that Jack Cantillion on your show, and he he was he was great. He was great. Six
0: Derby. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching
1: the first edition of season four of luck on Sunday I'm delighted to say that we round off with the chief executive of the Racecourse Association David Armstrong social distancing David means that sadly I'm only allowed one guest in the studio any one time because you and William Muir
8: would have made a a good team you were telling me yeah that's right now many years ago when I was an owner William was actually my trainer uh, and I hadn't had a chance to catch up with him in in recent times for obvious reasons and it would have been great to see him but sadly we didn't overlap you allowed to own horses now no you're not. No, I'm is not. Is that right? I'm guided not to, so right. I don't I do horses anymore. But I, I hope at one some point I'll get back into it. Would you like to? Is it? Is it sort of
1: um, an itch you'd like to scratch again?
8: I think it is. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I was very much what I would call the sort of the social owner. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed going racing race days, owners and trainers facility, and, and going with friends and family. And uh, yeah, I, we we won a few times, but it was never about the winning really. It was about the day, out, the enjoyment of the sport. What did you think of British racecourses then? Well, I think they've improved since then. <laughs> I thought you uh, might say that. Uh, certainly in terms of owners' facilities. Uh, although, actually, we went to a few, few different courses, obviously, and some were much better than others. Uh, but I think today w- racecourses offer a, a much better product uh, for owners. Let's,
1: let's get down to business. Wednesday mm. is the first day with a paying crowd of any description
8: since March on a British race course. How hard has it been to get to this point? Uh, It's been very challenging. Um, Firstly, of course, we prepared ourselves for the initial pilot at Goodwood that that didn't happen and uh, we were 24 hours away from going live with that. So the team at Goodwood had done a tremendous amount of work to be ready. We had written protocols, risk assessments, operating plans, many meetings with council, etc, and we got to the starting line, but we couldn't take part in the race, which was a great shame. Um, since then, we've been creating a strategy that allows us to test more comprehensively in September, and the first part of that was getting approval from DCMS, and we were very, very pleased that we actually got eight days approved. In fact, we actually had nine days approved. Uh, we had a, a day approved at Goodwood at the, uh, on the Saturday of the bank holiday weekend, just gone. Mm. Um, but we were only told three or four days before, and we thought it was too late to prepare ourselves. So we were actually awarded nine days other sports have only been awarded one each. So we're very pleased to have done that. So it's four
1: at, at Doncaster, four Doncaster, with the crowd increasing Thursday, Friday, Saturday yep.
8: you've got a day at Warwick to They're test at Warwick. the
1: smaller race courses. Exactly. and then you've got the three days of the Cambridgeshire fixture at Newmarket's
8: Rowley Mile where it's not that hard to social distance in truth is it? Exactly, No, it's, it's one of the courses that's layout works much better than, than others but I'm excited particularly to see how Warwick goes as well It's an important test for us because it's similar in layout to many small racecourses, really. And therefore, we need to be able to find a solution that works for them as well. Right. Let's talk about
1: Doncaster. First Mm. of all, you've had pushback here from the mayor of Doncaster, who has been vociferous in criticism of this, particularly in an area which is fairly high in terms of incidence of of COVID-19 relative to the national picture.
8: Uh, How are you going to deal with that this week? Well, I think the, on, the, on the prevalence rate, actually Doncaster in the, the area itself is actually very low. It's but, the, but the surrounding, the surrounding area, so area Leeds is Leeds, Rotherham, some of these places have been higher. But Doncaster itself is, is very low, which is good. But in conjunction with the mayor and the local council, the, the ARC team at Doncaster have come up with a, a response to each of the mayor's requested 10 action points that she published in a, in a letter this week. And actually to be honest many of them were already in train so there Mm. wasn't a lot of extra work needed but we've been very happy to cooperate with the council and work jointly with the council to create an action plan that deals with all those points so we're we're optimistic that we can manage that as the week goes on Uh, I think it's perfectly natural for local politicians to want to ensure that racecourses or sports venues are taking the maximum possible precautions so I think that's that's perfectly reasonable and to be expected And indeed, we saw the same things at Goodwood. We're seeing that at Newmarket now as well, where local authorities want us to do it the right way. So I think that's a good thing. How worried are you about negative perception of the sport? I think um, what, what may happen or there may be the old photograph taken where people look like they're too close together and some of those things will appear for sure. But what we've done, and and I say we, it's really uh, Mark Spencer and his excellent team at ARC and at Doncaster have done, is to put together a detailed operating plan with pods of people with self-contained areas, with their own food and drink uh, opportunities, betting, toilets, hand sanitizers, etc. So that they are working as a pod and that the the racecourse itself works with these pods Mm. in a way that minimises the risk. Could something go wrong? Possibly, but in terms of how then that's dealt with and the mitigating actions for it, the racecourse team are very ready. If these trials go satisfactorily,
1: do you still hope that from the 1st of October, every race meeting every day will be able to accommodate some kind
8: of paying spectator? We hope so, and I'd say it'll still be on that reduced capacity basis when we start on the 1st of October, if that's the date. Uh, there are 20... Do we know that's the date? Well, that's the date that the government have announced. They haven't confirmed it at all in the last couple of weeks. So it needs further confirmation? It needs further confirmation. Okay. However, racecourses across the country are now getting ready for the 1st of October, meeting with local authorities, producing operating plans, risk assessments. Uh, so for all the all the race meetings taking place in October, the planning is already well advanced. And, and do you think any
1: racecourse will be able to have anything like capacity in 2020?
8: I think it's pretty unlikely, is my fear at the moment. Uh, Racecourses have done their calculations of what their capacity is under the new rules. Mm-hmm. And it ranges from 25% of normal to the very the biggest one I've seen so far is 40-something percent. Where would um, that be? That's at Newmarket, actually. Newmarket have got... We talked about the layout of Newmarket. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit easier to operate there. Um, but on the whole, it's about 25%. How long do you think that's going to, to sustain? Well, I think the the, the next stage in recovery from this pandemic, people talk about vaccines and things like this, but that's very unknown on how long that's going to take. So we're not relying on a vaccine coming through at any point. What we are very close to is the various technology developments that are taking place that might allow some relaxation of the social distancing rules. Uh, There's talk in in the press today about a, a new form of test which is a 20-minute saliva-based test, you Mm -hmm. get the results in 20 minutes. If you connect that to your mobile device to create some sort of digital passport and you were able to do that for all the people at a race course or in part of a race course, arguably the social distancing rules could be relaxed. So I think the next step in relaxation and and an increase in crowds is going to be a technology-driven one, not a vaccine-driven one. But,
1: for example, take it back to this year's Cheltenham Festival I don't think you probably want to go over this year's Cheltenham Festival again but if we're going to take it on a 12-month cycle you're looking looking toward Cheltenham Festival 2021 is there any possibility of having anything like capacity uh, in in March of 2021
8: do you think? I think as things stand today the answer to that is probably no but there are a lot of developments happening and there are technology improvements happening almost daily the NHS test and trace app is uh, nearly ready for a national rollout and there are things like that that will start to change the way in which we operate in society, not just in sport, not just in horse racing. But from what we know today and the rules that are in place today, it's, it's unlikely we could be ready for Cheltenham as it stands. Um, are you
1: getting the right sort of communication now from the, from the Department of Culture, Media and Sport? I know that was something you were concerned about, particularly around the time of the aborted Goodwood pilot, that you weren't getting the information
8: through that you really needed and wanted to work with. Well, I think the, the challenge with uh, the, the Goodwood pilot from DCMS's point of view is it, it sort of took them by surprise as well. It was a, it was a policy decision driven by increased cases in, in the sort of northwest at a, at a key weekend mm. and government felt that because of that increase in cases it felt it was too early to push ahead with more uh, test events for sport so DCMS were, were also told quite late in the day uh, as to the fact that that pilot wouldn't be going ahead either so what was quite frustrating was we were told 24 hours before 20, yeah, 24 hours before that the pilot couldn't go ahead which is a very tricky situation for particularly the team at Goodwood
1: how hard can you push? How hard have you pushed? Have you stamped your feet a bit and said, now, come on, we need, we need to be guided better here than than has been the case?
8: Yeah, no, we have done that, and we've got very good relationships with, with DCMS. Um, Anna-Marie and Nick this week met with Nigel Huddleston, the sports minister. Um, we meet with DCMS officials virtually, of course, and it feels like almost every day. So we are, we are pushing hard, and I think the fact that we got effectively nine pilot days and other sports only got one mm. is probably a reflection that we've been pushing quite successfully. But it doesn't mean that we necessarily get the certainty we want. That, you know, For example, that Wednesday will 100% happen. In theory, if the number of cases spiked in Doncaster between now and Wednesday, it could be, it could be uh, behind closed doors again. So that's not impossible. That's not impossible. But as things stand today, as I saying, the Doncaster prevalence is very low. And uh, there are only three days to go. So we're optimistic that we'll be OK.
1: We first spoke um, when you first came into the job. I think you'd only been in situ for a matter of weeks at, at the time. Uh, how's it been being
8: Chief Executive of the, the Racecourse Association <laughs> over the last few months? Well, it's, it's really... It's, it, you couldn't predict... What, what was going to happen in terms of if somebody had said to me in, in back in March or you know at a day at, at Cheltenham for example that it, you know, it'll be September and you will only now be trying to get some crowds back on a race course it's been a very surreal experience but what it has done actually is to you know I think build a closer relationship between the RCA and its race courses. Uh, we've worked very well as a team in terms of the preparation for behind closed doors and with the rest of the sport as well. We used to have a uh, a forum where all race courses come come together and discuss various topics. We used to do that um, twice a year Mm. one at Newbury, one at York. We now do it once a week Um, and all 59 courses are represented on every call. and we're talking about things like like how we improve the protocols for owners, how do we uh, manage, test and trace things like this so that all 59 courses are represented and they're all learning from each other so we're operating in a much more effective way because of that We've talked a lot about pulling together during the COVID period. It
1: didn't take long post the resumption for a, sort of a fairly um, explicit war of words between you and, and the RCA and, and the, the, the horseman's group and, and some of their representatives. How do you think your relationship is at the moment?
8: Well, I think the last week when we issued the industry strategy, the BHA mm-hmm. new nine-point strategy, it was an important moment of us really pulling together because to to successfully implement a recovery strategy we can only really achieve that from the from the groups working together i think we're working better with the horsemen and the ROA than we were a couple of months ago uh discussions are underway about new commercial agreements what used to be called prize money agreements between horsemen and racecourses so that i think that's a good start and i think this is collective understanding from all of us that we are only going to get through this if we pull together so that's that's definitely a an improvement in the last few weeks.
0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai.
1: You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the program that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.